All right, that's firm. I'm going to keep it 90 plus 10. We have a long episode ahead of us. There's a lot to get through, including listens and an interview. So just to let you know, we do put timestamps in our podcast notes. So whatever podcast app you're on, you can go to the notes section and see all of the timings and everything you need down there. Just let you know, we really don't want you to miss out on this interview. So if you need to jump ahead, we won't hate you for it. So yeah, let's get into the episode. Let's go, love. For best R&B performance. And I was disgusted. I was, because I saw the news that Jasmine won first and I was in my room like, oh my God, yay. Then I saw Tide, Tide with who? <laughs> if it was her, you would have blown a fit. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> 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 but her probably said oh you know what that's discounted so i won't pay you for that i'm not gonna pay you for i'm not gonna pay you for <laughs> you would have come on this podcast incensed <laughs> <laughs> Hello guys and welcome to a new episode of Don't Let The Stands. This is season 8, episode 2 and you are here today with your hosts Eden McKenzie and Shopper. And today guys we have an exciting episode talking all things wellness but before that we're going to go into our scheduled episode to go through our agenda but just to let you know what's happening in today's episode just remembering we didn't have any guests last season. What we usually do is we go through an agenda, a news topic, talk about what we've been listening to for the week and then we interview someone at the end of the podcast. So today we've got Kamika King and I'll do a proper introduction towards the end of the episode but to give you a bit of a taste of what you're in for. um, Kamika is a, well she's a music therapist and we just wanted to talk about music therapy. It's a topic that we've wanted to speak about for the longest time. Um, Me in particular I've just thought it was a great conversation to have but also an area that is quite untouched in kind of music podcasting and is such a beneficial tool for so many people around the world so we wanted to have that conversation and invite you to that conversation um but as always please let us know your thoughts and let you let us know what you actually think of the episode what you found engaging and all of the above and just to say thank you so much for all of the responses that we received on episode one we're glad to be back and we're so happy to see the responses that we're getting and people are still excited for the podcast after eight seasons um so yeah shope how you doing man well 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 Mm. well um you know what in the in the mode of you know moving forward and being positive i'm doing just that i'm pressing forward i'm very happy that i've had some stillness and some quiet time before jumping on here today but today has been very ghetto very overwhelming very tiring very exhausting i'm ready for the revolution um yeah that's really me right now and um but yeah you know i'm pressing forward life goes on i will be okay it's gonna be all right it is it is indeed um i'm with you in that space at the moment um i recorded this is we yesterday and i was very honest with my other co-hosts and said that this week has been very trying for me individually um, I think in previous seasons of Dats, I would really try to be as honest as I could 
in how I was feeling. And I started to feel quite kind of guilty of being open with that because I kind of felt like I was making it all about me. Um, but I have to be honest and say that it's been a very tough week for a number of reasons. Part of the reason is like that's coming back. And I always, I don't like saying that because I don't want anyone who tunes into the podcast to think that we don't enjoy making the podcast. Um, it's just a lot of work goes into it. Um, we do a lot of research. Like if I could show you the pages of information that I've got in front of me right now. And our group page, chat. And in our group chat and everything that we put together to put this show together. Um, it can be quite tiring. Like I said, I recorded a podcast yesterday, recording a podcast today. It all has to be edited and put together and put out into the world. And I'm we just trying jobs. to be... <laughs> we have jobs as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And... Um, I just think it's important that we be quite transparent and honest with the process of making podcasts, um, not to make like to, you know, make listeners feel like we feel like we're being forced to do this, but to just kind of present the human side of content creation. Um, it comes with a lot of trial and error. It comes with trying to make time where you can. We're currently recording this at 9 p.m. Um, and um, I just wanted to bring my full self to this podcast and say that whilst this week hasn't been the greatest for me. Um, it is a process, like Shope said, of moving forward, taking every day as it comes. And um, I wanted to create that space by saying that because I feel, and I, this is just my intuition speaking, that this podcast will be quite a healing opportunity um, for a lot of people that are listening to it. Um, as we talk about music therapy and therapy in general, um, I've, you know, interacted with Kamika quite a few times and um you know i i just get the feeling that she's going to bring a lot and she's going to talk a lot about healing and all of the above and in order to heal you need to bring your full self so this is me and Hallelujah. this is Shope as well we're introducing ourselves to you as two people who have tough had tough weeks this week um especially today especially today but we are here with you as you listen to this podcast and we hope you enjoy all of the things that we're going to talk about now, saying that, you're obviously going to notice that we're missing a third limb. Yes, we're borrowing that from Mostly Lit. We're, miss we're missing a third limb today. Because of capitalism. Because of capitalism. So for the exact same reason, Nick has got quite a few things going on at the moment and is quite busy. Um, and we're sending our energy and love to Nick as he kind of um, navigates everything that's going on at the moment. Um, but as always, we leave that space open for you guys. So any listeners who kind of want to be our third chair for today... You know, take this moment to let us know how you're feeling, how your day has been, how your week has been. If it's been as bad as us, we're with you in that space and we hold that space for you. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to be completely transparent and let you guys know where we're at. We're happy to be back. Season eight, we got quite a few things planned. I know Shope is excited about a guest that we have coming on um, soon. Um so yeah, we're happy to have that conversation. But yeah, cool. What we're going to do, we're going to jump straight into the music. Well, yeah, we're going to jump straight into the music section. So Shope, go straight in, man. Go straight in, man. Straight in, man. I'm going to pause you for literally five seconds. If you could rate this podcast five stars, you'll be helping us out in incredible ways that we wouldn't be able to describe. If you could also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it helps us let the big guys know that we actually have an audience and we can continue to grow as an independent podcast and bring music culture to you on different levels. So please guys, subscribe and review the podcast. Love always. 
back to listens. And I was going to ask if you could go first this week because I want to do a little bit of research on one of my listens while you're talking. Okay, cool. You know what? It's actually been a week of, I would say, disappointment in music for me. Um, so I ventured out of my usual listens and to kind of talk about what they are. At the moment, I'm listening to Beam, who I've spoken about, I think, two seasons ago. I listened to Vince Staples' album, which I enjoyed. This is Vince Staples, the self-titled album. Um, I found a song by DJ Mustard, who goes by Mustard now, with Nipsey Hussle on it, called Perfect 10, which I've been playing on repeat quite a lot. And I really appreciate the Nipsey interview that is in the middle of that um, song as well. I'm just... Look... I think it's really obvious now that I'm really inspired by Nipsey Hussle as a person and the things that he talks about. And that song for me just really encapsulates um, his aura. And when I listen to it, I just kind of feel at peace. So if you're looking for something chill, I would say listen to Perfect 10, which is Mustard and Nipsey Hussle. Um, and let us know what you think. D-A-T-S-P-O-D. Um, back to disappointments. Coffee released an album. She released an album called Gifted, which came out in March, on March 25th this year. And I can't lie to you, I was disappointed. And the reason I was disappointed, I feel is slightly unfair. And the reason I feel it's unfair is because I feel like I went into this album expecting the hits. I came I went in there expecting the singles that we kind of, you know, enjoyed from Coffee, like for example, Lockdown or um West Indies. I'm just looking at them right now. The most popular one, Toast, all of those different types of songs. I was expecting an album full of those bangers. But what I got instead was kind of a mix of what I would say are slower um reggae how would I describe it? It's definitely a reggae-centered album. And Coffee kind of leans towards pop in a lot of her music, like pop-esque sounds on her music. Like if you think about Toast, for example, and um, West Indies, for example, as well, they're very party type of songs. And I, I wasn't expecting this type of vulnerability on this album. So when I listened to it, I was taken aback because I think I went in there with the energy of kind of in, like getting up and dancing to this. Um but there is a song on there that samples, I think it's Redemption by Bob Marley called Lonely. And that song is beautiful. It's just not what I was expecting on the album. And I think it's interesting because sometimes we go into albums expecting something. And as a result of that, we don't really get to enjoy the album for what it is. So although I am disappointed, at the same time, I'm aware and self-aware of the fact that I'm projecting onto this album and need to go back and listen to it with a fresh mind so i'm going to give gifted another go at a later date i'm going to give it a space because you know i heard rapture ep and that had all the bangers for me like i really enjoyed that that project by her you know rapture toast blazing throne ragamuffin all of those songs were on there um but for me toast was just very different and it goes back to our conversation about the debut album that we had last episode and if coffee was ready for the debut album to come out and whilst it's got 
loads of listens and you know it it has the hits on there that support the fact that she has an audience and um you know there are great songs on there i feel like i needed to get to know coffee a bit more as a listener so i wasn't surprised um but like i said i'm still a fan of her music i'm still you know i still loved rapture ep i just need to go away and i think approach this album in a new way um and we'll see what happens with that. Next, what before I'm you talk- go on to that, can oh, I go. share something about coffee? So there's been a, a trend today on Twitter about what's a cancelable take that will get you cancelled. Oh no, shoppe. So this is a safe space. I'm shop-y, gonna no, share my no. truth. Um, and you know, oh, oh, obviously, you please. know, last week I just, you know, I I gave up the, all the flowers to Mr. Peter Tosh last week. I would just like, and I'm preface this by saying I actually have not heard Coffee's new album, and I actually saved it a few days ago because I didn't know it was out. And I actually love West Indies, by the way. I love that song. Um, so, I'm, so I'm looking forward to checking it out. But I will say, um, <laughs> before um, that single came out, because I believe that was the first single from this new album, um, I, my spirit just just did not connect with Coffee. <laughs> like Toast, I'm sorry. It's yeah, it just never. Never did anything for me. Her EP, I was like, Blair, okay, all right. But you know what? I was happy for her, her success, you know. And obviously, she's been a part of a resurgence of reggae music, so I'm happy. And obviously, like I said, I love it, that genre so much as an art form. But to me, it's not meshed with my spirit. And for me, when it comes to the newer reggae artists, it's been, for me, Lila Ike, she, that's my girl. Chronics. Savannah, Protege, those are my people. Coffee, I'm sorry, my dear. And like I said, I, and you know, Eden, Eden did. Oh, and um, Skip Riley, not Riley, Skip Marley, of course, the grandson of the legendary Bob Marley. That whole family just, just don't miss. Every generation, they, they just bang. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sorry, my dear. It just, Coffee and I, just, it just didn't work. However, this album may be for me. I haven't heard the album yet, but that first project was a, was a no for me. Toast, I, I, I cringe when I hear it out. Um, and I, and I, I'm like, I can't say that out loud though because um, people say I'm anti-black, uh, especially as a Nigerian. I'm like, oh my God, don't take a say about the, a, a Jamaican woman. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm sorry, but I feel like throughout this podcast, I've shown my allegiance to the region. <laughs> and you guys know that. I appreciate that very much so. And I'm still waiting for the reggae brunch to come back in the summer i'm ready you know yeah shoppe has been asking me to take him to that for the longest time so yes yes so the longest time so i just want to say that to all the west indians out there who are listening to this before you cast me and say i'm anti-black and i don't like and i'm being diaspora wars i'm just yeah you're allowed an opinion <laughs> You're, no, but I feel. Yeah. No, but I, I remember. I, I just said it to my, my my other Nigerian friend. I said, "Don't tell, don't say like, don't like coffee out loud. You're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say it out loud." <laughs> no, but I, I, no. but I I want to like her though. Like I said, so I I I love West Indies. I love that song. That's actually the first song I was like, you know what? Finally, she has something for me. <laughs> Finally, yeah. And I like pull up too. I like that song as well. Um, oh yeah, yeah, that pull up's a banger. I like pull up's that's a banger. That's on the album as well. I'm like, you know what? I'm like, fair enough. Growth, okay. Growth. I'm surprised you don't like toaster. I just, it's just no. And I actually remember because um, I was at my first job when it came out, and I remember all these people in my office 
well, mainly white people. But although there were a few black people who were also going up for it, who were also Jamaican, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I finally heard it, and I was just like, Is this, is it? this it? Yeah, I get what you mean. <laughs> and they're looking at me like, Shut up, you're not like this. I'm like, I mean, it's not bad. It's not a bad song, <laughs> but, you know, it's like, all right. Do you know the thing that I like, though? You you said you don't like the album, but you named so many Jamaican artists that you appreciate. Yes, because I don't want people because I can, I know that obviously there's a, a tense relationship between the West Indians and the West Africans. I don't want that. To, I don't want to come from a point where I'm saying it as if I'm like, oh, because it's not Afrobeats, I don't care about it. <laughs> 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 nah, man, that would be a reach. That would be a reach. Because it's not that at all. Like, yeah, it doesn't sound like that whatsoever. Like, um, on the show, but I hear what you're saying. On the show, I feel like I've given my flowers to major Jamaican artists and reggae artists especially and Ian knows me personally so outside of the show he's very familiar with my love for that yeah I know, I know Shopee's order and I know his order to the T but like... coffee is <laughs> yeah <laughs> I hear you I hear you and I actually think you might enjoy this project um especially as someone who's maybe coming from a different lens when it comes to coffee um I think I was looking for the same songs that blew up for her on this project, but it's an album, so it's going to be a bit more refined than an EP um, and target new audiences as well. More of a kind of, um, I would say, like pop or reggae audience, um, which makes a lot more sense. Um, cool. All right, so that's Coffee. And then the next project is by South Londoner and Brit School alumni, Jazz Karis. So... Jazz Karis is an amazing singer. Beautiful she released voice. two singles. Well, first and foremost, I'm going to talk about All Eyes on You because that was an EP that was released released in 2020. So that was an EP that was released in 2020. Sorry, and um, I would just say, in terms of like bangers, there's one song on there that I've been playing since it came out in 2020 called Issues. Oh no, uh, yeah, Issues and Let Me Down. Let Me Down is the banger that I enjoy. Sorry. So Let Me Down has a, um, as a Jamaican, how can I forget this word? Lover's Rock. So yeah, Let Me Down has like a Lover's Rock feel to it. And when I play it, I just feel like really soothed by it. It's a really beautiful song. Obviously, it's about being let down in love and her experience of falling in love with someone and being disappointed and all of the above. But it's just a very beautiful song. Um, It reminds me of um, Tiana Major's um, Thinking About You and the way that kind of incorporates some Lover's Rock as well. It's just a really beautiful song. And I really love hearing Lover's Rock on like modern like UK hits. And I love when you get that kind of connection because everyone tries to go reggae. Like that that seems to be the thing that most people try to go to or like automatically dance hall. But Lover's Rock doesn't really get its flowers for like its contributions to music. Lover's Rock is beautiful, like a very, very beautiful genre. And it's just something I grew up listening to my entire life. So hearing it in like a lot of artists that I listen to now, like R&B artists for me is a great experience. And I would say listen to All Eyes On You, the project, if you enjoy R&B, and kind of um, references to Lovers Rock as well. But in terms of what I've been listening to recently, she released two new songs, one called Tonight, the letter, sorry, the number two and the night, um, which is a song that features Jay Warner. Absolutely beautiful song in terms of harmonies, in terms of um, like storytelling through two different perspectives. It's a very, very beautiful song. 
Um, I would say for me, what stands out the most is the production. Um, but the way that the harmonies kind of collide with the production as well, it kind of, it, it doesn't clash, but it just works so perfectly sonically for me. Um, and I just sit there and kind of just vibe to their voices as they harmonize. So I would say listen to tonight. And then there's a song called Games We Play as well by Jay Warner and um, Jazz Karras as well. Both very, very beautiful songs. Not too long as well. Very short listens. And if you're looking for songs that will make you want to fall in love, those are the songs that you want to listen to. So Tonight and Games We Play. And then lastly, let's see what else I've been listening to. Um, it's been a week of just literally scanning through music. I haven't really stuck to anything in particular. I won't lie to you. Oh, the Dreamville Project. So let me just say this. I forgot how much... Like, if someone asked me what my favorite producer tag is, I forgot how much I love Gangsta Grills, like, his producer tag. Um, so, D-Day is a new project released by Dreamville, and it's called D-Day, a Gangsta Grills mixtape, and it's produced and basically put together by um, Gangsta Grills. And for me, I enjoyed, I would say, half of this project. I still need to kind of sit down and really, like, get into it. But I'm loving the way that all of these rappers are approaching these um, songs. And I'm loving the feature with um, Ari Lennox on Coming Down, mm. which... Mm. Um, gone. So you no, I'm say just saying she, she, she did what she needed to do. She did. And she also, did. J. Cole, welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> I saw your tweet. <laughs> gone. Gone. I was going to say, so this is what it took for J. Cole to make good music again. Because <laughs> yeah, that, because the thing is, Cause my last album was, yeah, because everyone's talking about that album. I'm just like, it wasn't anything special to me, it was just a very average album. But everyone's kind of going on. I saw people putting it on their like best albums of the year and Please. stuff like that. And I was just Please. like, Please. It's, it's interesting, it's very, very interesting. But this, but this album, his contributions to this project i was like yes jermaine this is why yep. this is why i love you let me get yep. my, let me get back into my stand back yes yep you're doing me... hotep as well on one of the songs yeah, oh, oh yeah of course but you know talking like... about how <laughs> when he first entered the industry there were all these white women and then he discovered that he actually fell in he actually loved sisters <laughs> just like I'm like, okay, cool. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. It's just giving mixed race person who finds themselves at college. Oh. <laughs> I hear him though, man. I hear him. But uh, but he was rapping his ass off. Yeah, but, man. Uh, but outside from that, the act, the songs were actually good. Yeah, they were. So, like you, I've not heard the whole project like in its totality. But from my skim listens of the J Cole songs, the Ari songs, I was like, yes, yes. Yep, he's doing exactly Continue. what he needs to do uh and that's it for me those are my listens for the week so it was perfect 10 mustard nipsey hustle you've got the vic staple vince staples sorry vince staples self-titled album don't know what's wrong with my words today um you also had jazz karis and the two songs that i mentioned and then you've got d-day one thing actually i'm going to mention just before i go is i listened to beam's new album and out of the, I think it was six songs on there or seven songs, three of them are worth mentioning. The rest are just, I don't know what's going on with them. But if you want to listen to someone that is very similar to the likes of Travis Scott, for example, um, Beam is a great artist. He Is he part of Jack Boys? I think I read somewhere he was part of like um, Travis Scott's collective. I'll have to research that to confirm that. But um, his project came out 
fairly recently i think it was january it came out and there's three songs on there one of them called anxiety 30 mgs is a banger like if there's one song that makes up for the mediocrity of this entire album 30 mgs slaps disgustingly like it's so hard it is ridiculous like in terms of production in terms of just like it's such a vibe like that's it's just such a vibe like if you're looking for a song you can like play in the car this is this is the song um and i would say play it at any point you get like 30 mgs just play that and you'll understand how how sick that song is friends is also a banger um i would say with beam you also have to take into consideration that he came from jamaica like he's he's like proper from jamaica um, so you'll hear a lot of his kind of um, references to Jamaica, but you'll also hear like musical references as well. And it's quite interesting because a lot of my listens today are about like Jamaica, which wasn't intentional whatsoever. Um, but I'm hearing it a lot more in music now. And I'm very intrigued to see what happens in the next stage of like um, music from Jamaica and how the world interacts with that as well. So those are my listens. Shopee. Right. Okay. I've uh, got quite a few. But I think I'm going to focus on, let's see where we go. So I will start off by saying that I actually have some contemporary music to share with you all today. Um, I really enjoyed New Music Friday last week, must say. Um, a lot of um, great material, great so- songs came out. I'm not going to list them all, but uh, Willow Smith dropped a great song. Freddie Gibb dropped a dope song with Rick Ross that I loved. Um, Dreezy but also people like LMA. And I feel like I'm the only person that actually enjoys her music. <laughs> I don't know, know why. And it's strange. I'm a, because I remember before she blew up, before everyone was saying, oh, we need to give LMA more flags, we need to support her. And now that she's actually been put on, all of you Negroes are, are just treating her and making her gather dust. And it, and it's, it is it's that whole idea of once you make it, they want to tear you down. I'm not saying that's happening with her, but it's something that I noticed. I, I remember before she blew up how people were saying we need to respect her more, we need to prop her up more. And now that she's actually at a level now where she's actually getting relatively good recognition, people are acting like she's whack. And I'm like, meanwhile, like, and I will say, is she, is she the best of this new class of women R&B? Of course not. But I think she makes solid music. And she, she's better than, than quite a few that I can name in Winter Runner. Anyway. I knew... I knew it. But just, anyway, literally, could you just not? Like, you could have just not mentioned her. People would have known who you were talking about. Um. But yeah. <laughs> so. Go on. She has her second album coming out um next month called Heart on My Sleeve, and so last week she released the third single from the album called Leave You Alone, and. I absolutely love it, and it has been on repeat all week. And I'm going to say this by my next listen too, but I'm saying LMA's team, wherever you are in the world, if you're listening to this, this is the song that can really turn things around for this album because it's a sad, shame state of affairs, but there is no buzz around this album. No one cares. I'm so sorry. What are you you basing that on? The first two singles are underperformers chart-wise. They're not really rising on radio. But also, if I'm looking at social media as a barometer of that um, reception, I feel like I don't really see people talking about her, Mm. if I'm being honest. Obviously, obviously social media is not everything, but I feel like it is a decent reflection Mm -hmm. of someone's buzz or public image. And I just kind of feel that I don't really see it on tweeting about LMA Mm. or talking about LMA. Um, 
a few obviously i'm not gonna say no one does but compared to like like you know chloe's dropping her single tomorrow i'm seeing so much anticipation for that oh really so much so much and not even just today like for the last month or so or even before normani dropped fair there was a lot of anticipation. So like, people are talking, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas LMA, it's not there. Yeah. And the, first, and the thing is, she's three for three because I've actually enjoyed every single. And I'm actually looking forward to this album. And, you know, it's been four years since the first album. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that there's been four some artists. Four years? Yep. Booed Up was four years ago. Trip was four years ago. Boy. D- oh, yeah. Because that was one of the first things we spoke about on the podcast. It was yeah, Jaquise. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been four years. It's been four years. So I imagine she's grown as an artist and hopefully vocally too, and all those things. And yeah, so far it seems like we're in for a very solid R and B album. Is it gonna be groundbreaking? I don't think so, but it's gonna be good. It's mm. gonna be a good. But you can't ask for more than that. Just a good solid album. But this song, Leave Alone, is hands down the strongest of the three. It just gives me that mid two thousands. Brian Michael Cox production. It just kind of reminds me of like his work with like Mary J. Blige, like around Growing Pains era. It kind of just reminds me. I don't really have a, a real reference for what I'm trying to think of, but if you hear me out, it just sounds like 2007, but not like in a dated way, but it's just like, it just has that energy, that like, the sense, mm. that, like a delivery. I just, it's a great song. And I really think that, I hope there's a video coming, but I think that's the song that could really be the, the the breakthrough hit mm. for this this era so i really hope that they push it because it's a great song um next up i'm gonna say the same thing mahalia whatever simon says um it's a banger yes incredible song great great song mm. and i'm just gonna start by saying that mahalia it just saddens me that britain won't really allow one mixed race woman to prosper because mahalia i just it, it does get me sad because she's so talented She's part of a lot of great singles, great bodies of work on her album. But the EP is, <laughs> yes, um, really good, really good. I'm just being honest. There was a few, I mean, her, her album had like seven songs I like, but overall it was a no for me. Um, hey, don't understand. But we support Mahalia. I very much so. I've seen her twice, talented girl. But it just happened because she's been around for a long time she now. Like, yeah. Seven, maybe more years now. She's had, she's had three rebrands, yep. you know, and this and just I just keep just like, and I'm just gonna be blind. I'm like, I just think it's gonna happen for her. What? Not here, anyway. It's not gonna happen. Wow. Being honest, because I'm Eden. It's been seven years. I know. She's yet, she's yet to pop. And what were you quantifying as, as popping though? Like, so obviously, I'm not expecting her to like, you know, have like, you know, number one singles and go platinum, but. I feel like Georgia doesn't have those things, but I feel like Georgia has carved out a place where she's here. Okay. If that makes sense. Like, what, really... what, what, what solidifies that for you? Is it? I've, I, feel like the, I feel like the visibility that she gets, the press that she gets, and there's a, a decent amount of fanfare across uh, medium. So social media, print, online, uh, even just like in conversations, like my colleagues, Georgia Smith is in their mouth. And you People don't that think don't that's know. the same for Mahalia? Mahalia, no. I oh, feel like Mahalia obviously, does, Mahalia obviously does have a lot of fans here, but I feel like they're fans. Like, if you're a fan of Mahalia, you talk about Mahalia. Oh, so you're or, saying or, both detractors or, or, and fans speak about Georgia Smith? Exactly. Perfect. Okay. You said it perfectly right there and there. Like, my brother's not really hip to what's going on right now because of who Georgia Smith is. Yeah, I feel that's more of a kind of 
it's it's probably not for the best reason. It's probably a sexual reason. For me, oh, of course, honest. of course, of course. It's sex sex appeal. Not no. to say that Mahali is unattractive. No, but but George is obviously she conventionally attractive. Yeah, she, yeah, you know, and of course she has the Drake cosign and all that, all these things, you know, whatever. She's had some really big collaborations, and 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 this is also not to say George Smith makes crap music because she doesn't like. Um, I definitely think that Mahali makes better music than her, but I like a lot of George's material. Not her, not her album, once again, the EPs. And I actually thought her last project from last year was really good. Be right back. It's a great project. So I'm not saying that to say that George Smith is shit because she's not. Mm. I mean, vocally, yeah. But anyway, um, staying above the fray. Um, but you know, <laughs> so I, I just feel like Mahali. I just feel like I just don't feel like it's gonna happen here in the UK. And I just feel like it is time for her to leave this country and move on and just state your claim in the States like LMA, like Floretry, like Estelle, like Daily, like many people have had to do. Just leave us alone. Leave this dirty, bad vibes place alone. Whatever Simon says, I can easily see killing on urban radio over there. Easily. Mm. Easily. Easily. And even just that song. Other songs she's had in the past, I feel like... No, more, the more I thought about it, wait, actually, why are we wasting time on trying to get this BBC someone extra when all they know is Young Bane and, and all these people and, <laughs> and, the, and the next Afro Swing cessation? <laughs> all they know is Young Bane. <laughs> oh, man. And, yeah, and, I, you know, Sober would actually slap in America, you know. Exactly, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Sober would slap in America. Sober would have, I like, imagine if she should have got that single insecure. Yeah. Like, some, like, <laughs> like yeah, 100%. That's what I'm saying. Mahalia's had a lot of songs. I'm even going to go, let me go on a spot for now. Let me just name a few other songs that she's even had in the past. Um, off the top of my head. I wish my, I missed my ex. I thought like that could have worked over there too. Yeah. Um, oh yeah 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 especially with the music video yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that that could have worked over there but then there's a particular song that her song Koji Radical which I can't remember what it's called right now but it was on uh, One Night Only yeah One Night Only that whole project actually even her BR um, the Isolation Tapes those three songs yeah. all banged and a lot of those could have worked in the States I just kind of feel like my girl leave us alone yeah we don't deserve you we don't respect you we don't understand you and they don't want to they don't want to if it's not drill, it's not grime, if it's not Afro swing, they don't care. And because Georgia Smith is the only mixed race girl allowed to, to prosper, sadly, you're not going to be doing that. Oh, I mean, Leanne Lehavis prospers too, but she's in a different space. Um, yeah, she is. She's in a, she's in, she's she's in a different... And that's even that. That's the whole idea of like what I mean by here. Leanne obviously is not selling gazillion records, but I feel like Leanne has a place here. She has yep. like... She's carved out. She's got the Prince cosign as well, doesn't she? Exactly. And she's also learned I'm also going to go back and forth between here and America because you guys yeah. have no sense. So, <clears throat> whatever Simon says, and it's one of her best songs in a very long time. And not that I've not enjoyed her other recent stuff. I mean, that Ada Teresa song, no, no thanks. Um, roadside, whatever it was called. Yeah, we could have left that on the roadside. <laughs> anyway, Didn't there's, a few, there's been a few other songs she's put out recently that I've, that I've liked, as I always do like her music. But this, when I heard this, I was like, hold the phone wait tune mm. and then i instantly was thinking and i realized it's actually been out for like a month or so and i'm like oh, of course i've not heard it because no one's doing anything over here yeah. no one cares yeah my girl 
Go do your American radio tour. Go yeah. do your American press tour. Get on Genius. Go do rated R&B. Go over there. Leave us alone. You don't, yeah. They don't care. It's a shame. It shouldn't be that way. But like I said, LMA has to do it. Floretry, Daily, Estelle. I could go on. Yep. All of the R&B stars pretty much have had to do it at some point. So please, do it and prosper. Cause I've, and also a great songwriter, like you can get your songwriter bag out there, like come on. Yep. So that's Mahalia. Um, next up, you know, so, um, this is kind of a conflict of interest, but hey ho, whatever. Good music is good music. Um, so this next person is uh, called Lady Blackbird. So she is a jazz artist from LA, and actually I'm not gonna say that. Um, so, but yeah, she put out an album last year called Black Acid Soul. And I've been really listening to it a lot of these last few weeks. Um, and I've actually had the opportunity through circumstance to actually take my time and spend time with it rather than just listen to it once and then move on with my life. And it's a great body of work. It's a great body of work. Like her voice is amazing. Her sense of uh, phrasing, her interpretive skills, like it's very emotionally affecting. Like she has a, she really conveys a lot of of pain, a lot of uh, sincerity in her voice. And I love the arrangements. I love the musicianship. One of Miles Davis' um, piano players, Doron Johnson, is actually playing on the whole album, which is obviously, shout out to her for even securing that. Like, got Miles Davis's um, piano player on her album. Um, mm. But beyond that, what I didn't know is that most of the album is covers. I did not know that. I knew, if, I knew uh, one song on there, Blackbird, um, by Nina Simone, and then we lost looking by Sam Cooke. But I actually didn't know that most of the album were covers. Three songs are original, but most of them are covers. And the reason why I want to make that point is because as so, the, if you hear these songs, she's managed to make them her own so much that you would not even have noticed. Like, she's still respectful to the original. But then also, as I was doing my Googles, she has pulled from very obscure artists, very obscure songs. So, like I said, she covered Nina Simone and Sam Cooke, but she also covered songs by The Three Degrees, Irma Thomas, and Voices of East Harlem. Very obscure, overlooked, underrated groups and artists in the 60s and 70s, which is already, so it's like, wow, you're really revitalizing these artists, but also giving them a platform for people to go back and research. Me, myself. As uh, you know, researcher, historian in the making, you know, whatever, as I don't know what I will be, but you know what I mean, as the uncle of the three of us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was, I, I had never heard of some of these original songs, and I've really been listening to those artists too. And I'm just like, wow, it just, it just shows that there's just truly a well, a never ending well of music, whether it's past or present. And I was going to shout out for choosing those songs because you could have done, you know, the obvious Aretha Franklin or the obvious. Um, Marvin Gaye song but she really like so it shows to her she obviously is clearly a nerd herself and she really knows music but also comparing and contrasting her versions to the originals is astounding because she's really made them her own Mm. even to the point where she's even changed a few lyrics in the title of the songs so yeah Black Acid Soul great 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 project great voice highly recommended for my jazz fans out there it's got elements of folk as well blues gospel but very much in the jazz tradition highly recommend the song beware the stranger such a haunting song someone needs to put that in an episode of atlanta um you know 
whatever. Um, it will never happen again. Just great, great song. It's not that easy. And then my last um one is inspired. So I just mentioned that one of the songs that she covered was called Beware the Stranger. And that's originally by a group called Voices of East Harlem, who I had never heard of until three days ago. But they were an African-American youth choir who put out three albums in the 70s. And it's had about 20 members between the age of 12 and 22 years old. Wow. And, and they put out three albums in the 70s. Didn't really get much fanfare. Wasn't really successful. But there were really, I've listened to them a lot this week, just like really immersing myself in them. And there's actually a great article, which I, unfortunately, because of capitalism, didn't get time to read. I was just so intrigued about who they are and their sound. And there's a great article on the New York Times. And I'll read the title is, 50 years ago, they did something rare in gospel, tied music to protest. And that's essentially what they were, because... They started out as a gospel choir in this community hall in Harlem, but then they eventually started, you know, touring in the States, the Isle of Wight here in the UK, in Ghana even, performing alongside like Tina Turner and Jimi Hendrix and many other people. But what's most interesting to them is like, and thankfully I got to this point because they're interesting because they are a gospel group, but a lot of their songs are really about protest and injustice. It's very social political, which isn't really common for gospel, especially from the 70s. So they're just an interesting juxtaposition. And they actually, the writers say, let me credit this person who wrote this article, Robert M. Marovich. He said, it was as if Sly and the Family Stone and gospel's Edwin Orkin singers had linked arms of solidarity. And I thought that was interesting because when I was listening to them anyway, I was getting Edwin Hawkins singer's vibe. I was getting that vibe, like sonically, vocally, the instrumentation, just the vibe of their music. But also I do get like psychedelic funk and rock and, and soul and blues, like you get from Sly and the Family Stone and Curtis Mayfield, who actually wrote a few of their songs as I'm coming to, to learn. And so, yeah, they're just a really interesting group. And just once again, just a, it just, it's just amazing how many great artists musicians group that just lost to time and lost to history because i had never ever heard of these people in my life and and i understand why because they weren't a massive group they didn't they didn't have success or have any hits but they put out three albums which kind of fell under the radar at the time and then have been kind of lost to history over the years but i can already just see from the week i've spent listening to them that they are a vital group mm. a vital and very interesting group musically and their story is interesting and i can't wait to read the rest of this article and i'm just so grateful that these things exist like thank god there are people out there who want to cover people like them because you know the 70s so many great artists then but these guys were just lost but that being said i want to recommend um wanted dead or alive cashing in that's been my favorite um right on be free giving love just an interesting it's kind of like yeah it's like political gospel music but funky Mm. If that makes sense. I don't know. And the way they were dressed, they weren't dressed in like, you know, choir robes. They were dressed like, you know, in dungarees and ripped jeans and stuff. It's an interesting group of black people. Mm. So, yeah, those are my listens for the week LMA, Mahalia, Lady Blackbird, Voices of East Harlem. Wow. Okay. So we've got some modern albums from Chopin this week. You know, he's the in house historian uncle. What, what else, Chopin? Uh, prospective researcher, mm-hmm. 
and various other things which I'm not going to say here because I don't want to um, curse myself. He, but... He's our time capsule. So he, he's the one that goes back in time to find the gems and make sure that we're paying attention to them. So yeah, thank you for your listen, Shopee. Um, but also I want to shout out like Schoolboy Q. He dropped a great single oh, yesterday. Buddy got a great project out. So I'm not going to go in depth with them because I'm still, you know, immersing. But hey, I am listening to today's music, guys. I am. And I'm <laughs> yeah. loving it. And Although I'm you've got it. a litany of albums that you're still waiting to listen to, as you said last yep. episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll get to it at some point. I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts on Lucky Day because I did listen to the album. Still listen to that. Still listen to that. And I'll get, you know, and shout, you know what, this great segue into our one and only topic for today. Mm-hmm. He won a Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Shout out to him. Best progressive R&B album, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. But, but shout out to him because it was a really good project. It had to grow on me, but I actually did really come to really enjoy it. I love the song of Ari Lennox, Access Denied. Love the song with the Ever, which should have won best. You know, let's just get into it. That <laughs> should have won best traditional army performance. But once again, who won? Glasses. <laughs> her. Once again. I just, you know what, her, you know what? Kudos to you. You've got the Grammys on your payroll and that's fine, you know? But I still used to, I, I just can't with the, oh my God, I can't believe I won. Oh, it's given Taylor Swift. Stop. <laughs> you know what you're doing. And once again, it's not even shade or hate because the song she won for, Fight For You, I really like that song. Mm. I enjoyed that song. But I'm just like, this is not a Grammy winning song. What does, a, what does that mean? What do you mean by a Grammy winning song? For me, a Grammy winning song is, and it's not necessarily once again by charts or, or sales or whatever, but I'm just seeing cultural impact. Okay. And you feel and like this didn't have cultural impact? No, it did not. What yes, song was... would you say has had cultural impact, just in general, so I can kind of gauge what you mean? Well, if I'm using her, Damage, if I'm going to use her, if her was going to win a Grammy this year, it would have been for Damage. That's one, outside of it actually being a good song, but that is a song that has actually done the rounds, radio-wise, chart-wise, but also I've seen many of my friends and acquaintances show love and go up for that song. I've seen that song travel offline and online. Fight For You has not been the same. And same for I Can't Breathe, which one. Song of the damn year. I mean, we'll never get over that. Song of the year. Song of the, of the whole <laughs> of the year. Yeah. A song that no one has heard beyond her core fans. I haven't heard it, if I'm keeping it 100. There we go. Hallelujah. Yeah. So, and she did it again. And I, I, I just, I, I had to Google it. Her has five Grammys. And I'm like, why? Five? Wow. Why does she have five? There are some who have none. Yeah. None. And like I, and I don't want to sound like I'm hating because I am a, a fan of her. I really am. And I've enjoyed watching her grow, but I'm just going to leave it here before I move on to the other thing. The level and number of accolades you have don't stack up with how she's actually received in the general public consensus. Doesn't, it doesn't correlate. Yeah, I get that. There is kind of a gap, isn't there? Like she, Her is a big deal, but I feel like she's, yeah. she's not she's, like... I don't know. It feels like they're jumping ahead. Yeah. Like, it's like they're, they're giving her an award for potential because she is an amazing instrumentalist and songwriter and, you know, singer. She's very talented, great artist. Not the album, though. But see, once again, the album, there we go. The album wasn't good. But her EPs, loved them. Mm-hmm. But if I'm looking at this category, so uh, Lucky Day and Yeba, how much your heart can take? That should have won. Yeah. But do you that know what? Do you know what confuses me? 
What confuses me is the excitement that I see for the Grammys year on year from the same people who kind of, you know, basically say it's not necessary. And there's still this prestigious thing about winning a Grammy. Yeah. And I, I just, you know, obviously people are human at the end of the day and being human means you're going to be a hypocrite because, you know, that's just the, that's just part of living life. But at the same time, I just kind of look at it and I'm just like, what are we, what kind of um, prestige are we applying to the Grammys and why? Um, it's just historically, there's just always been a currency. Like it's literally music's biggest night. It's literally, it's the optimum award you can win mm. as an artist, as a musician. So regardless of all the politics and all the bullshit happening year in and year out. And even now, you know, so I've, talked, I've spoken about her and Lucky Day. Shout out to Lucky Day. Congratulations to you. Love you. Um, Jasmine Sullivan even though Grammy's a bullshit I said last year I said she better win something it's time yeah Jasmine has given us great projects after great projects for 14 damn years and she's been nominated for like 17 awards and won nothing which has just been disgusting so yes but I will not lie when I saw she won I was elated until Mm. until I saw she had to share with the Argentina Tribute Act. Did and you? I was just like, And I was like, was it by force? Did you say Argentina Tribute Act? Yes, I did. Okay. Um, is it by force that they had to share? And that's not new. It's happened before. People have tired before. But I was like, was it really by force? This was Jasmine's award. This was Jasmine's award. So- this was her award just was to, it by force just Go to on. translate Chopé for anyone who hasn't watched the grammys silk sonic tied with jasmine sullivan for best r&b performance for best r&b performance and i was disgusted i was because i saw the news that jasmine won first and i was in my room like oh my god yay and i saw tied tied with who <laughs> if it was her you would have blown a fit oh oh my god <laughs> 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 But her probably said, oh, you know what? That's a discount, so I won't pay you for that. I'm not going to pay you for I'm not going to pay you for it. <laughs> you would have come on this podcast incensed. I <laughs> we would but, not be ready for the rage you would have come to this podcast with. But that being said, when she won Best R&B Album alone, I was overjoyed. Yeah. And it was televised as well. So like she got the good, the, the good camera, the good, the good coverage. I was mm-hmm. like, yes, be on, you're on TV too. Because they don't like showing... Hip-hop for R&B on television, obviously. Mm-hmm. But that one was televised. And I was like, yes, Jasmine. She won. Yep. So deserving. Great project. But also, she's had a great era. Like, the consistency with the, uh, the press she's been on. performance she's been on. I mean, there should have been more visuals, but that's fine. But Picky Peeves has done really well on radio. Girl Like Me has done well on radio. Lost One has done well on radio. I mean, it's like, she's had a really great year and a half year, you know? And it's just so deserving. It's considering, like, she's just, she's a veteran now, 14 years, and she has been one of the most significant women in R&B for the last 15 years. And it's, what's her time? So, yes, Grammys are nonsense and bullshit, but I'm happy for her as a fan. Really. As someone who's loved her since the first album, I have all her albums legally, physically. And obviously, I was blessed to interview her last year. I was just like, yes. Yeah, we're not going to skim yes. over that. The fact you've actually spoken to her and interviewed her. <laughs> We're definitely not going to skim over that. The way you just dropped that in. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so Chopin has, Chopin has written a piece. He's interviewed Jasmine Sullivan. That is something we need to talk about. 
Yes. So, yeah, you know, I'm happy for that. I'm really down. So, shout out to Jasmine Sullivan. Um, Questlove. No. One best. No. Where can we find this piece? <laughs> what okay. do you mean? So, the interview is on Clash. Okay. And you can, so, you can go on the website and read it there, or you can go on my link tree and it'll be there as well with the other things I remember. Yes. Yeah. Last January, Jasmine Sullivan. Um, hotels had just come out, I believe. So, yeah, and now to see what's happened since that interview, since you know the album's been out, amazing. An honor to speak to her at the outset of such a historical era for her career. An mm. honor. Um, you know, one day I'll get my hour with her. I only had half an hour. But one day, me and her will will have the proper chat that I wanted by God's grace. Because mm-hmm. I had more, I had more questions, of course. But that will happen one day. Yep. It will happen. I will have my time to talk to her properly. Um, manifest. Manifest. But yeah, so I'll shout out to Questlove too. Best music film for Summer of Soul, Oscar and Grammy in a week. I just an absolute inspiration to me. So 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 happy for everything that's happening to him. He's so deserving. So so deserving. I can't say enough. Incredible documentary. Incredible soundtrack. This incredible capsule of black music and black history. So give give him everything. So give him everything. Um, who else? Um. Tyler the Creator, best rap album. Well done to you, sir. Well deserved. Loved your album. Loved your album. Um, shout out to you. I love um, the way that he's forever sending for J- um, for DJ Khaled, though. As he should. Just forever. Should. Just literally. As he on. should. Because um, for anyone who doesn't know, um, not in the actual Grammy speech, but on his live, Tyler made reference to the fact that DJ Khaled, basically they released an album around the same time, I think two years ago. Yeah, I think I think it was around Igor, not this one. E- yeah, Igor. yeah, Igor and DJ Khaled um, released "Father of Assad," and they were battling for number one and two. Tyler got to number one, and DJ Khaled basically had some comments about weirdo music versus, you know, I I don't even know the word. He no, used no one's playing that in the Bentley. No one's playing that in the Jeep. Yeah, <laughs> which kind of just shows kind of his his um relationship with a lot of people's realities because not everyone's driving bentley's and you know all of them cars there and not even that not everyone listens to dj Khaled. exactly but i love the way that tyler was just like really straightforward and he said like you know dj Khaled had everyone everyone from the industry jay-z beyonce um 21 savage nipsey like nick everyone everyone on that album and went to second so you know you gotta big up tyler you got to big him up. And beyond all of that, it was just a great album. Yeah. Which, which is what matters fundamentally. I still need to give it a proper listen, but I skimmed through it. I still, I love Igor. I think that was a really beautiful Me project. Production-wise, incredible. Um, but I just think I need to give this album some space and then give it another listen. Um, the last did I want to say, uh, shout out to Doja Cat and SZA for winning um, Best Pop um by duo group for kiss me more which is just so interesting one because i do because at the time when it first first dropped i didn't care for it but the way it grew on me and the way the crack just came into my veins mm. over the year i love that song now and i'm so happy that it's done so well and then now they have grammy because of it it's their first grammy although scissors should have three at least by now but you know once again grammys are stupid but so shout out to both of them whether you actually broke your leg or not is a story for another day, but that's fine. Um, and then lastly, I can't believe Whisker didn't win anything. I, I can't believe Whisker and Essence didn't win anything. I mean, I can believe that because 
We talk about this every year, the Grammys are, you know, they're weird and they're dumb, but wow. Essence really won with nothing. Yeah. It left, it left with no awards. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Made in Lagos left with nothing. Wow. Mm. Wow. Great project. And this is what I'm saying. Outside of it being a great project, I love the album, but once again, the cultural impact it has had, not just for us as black people, but even just internationally, cross-culturally, this is, you can't, you can't deny what, what that's, that album has done for Afrobeats, African music this last year and a half, these last almost two years. And then also, it's just a great album. Yep. A damn good album. It's a really good album. Really, really good. It so, did, I was listening to it um, yesterday, actually, and I, it made me remember how much I love Tay Iwa. Like, mm, amazing true love artist. yep banger mm. so yeah that is my mini review on the the grammys her will win three next year that she paid for and yeah <laughs> okay cool so what we're going to do is we're going to move straight into the interview section so let's go straight into that everyone good okay mm-hmm. i'm just going to clap us in <clears throat> Yes. Okay, guys, we're going straight into the interview section after our in-depth discussion about the Grammys. And I just want to say welcome to Kamika King. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for, you know, spending time with us talking about music therapy. Um, we've been wanting to have this conversation for literal years, um, just for so many different reasons. And um, we're so grateful for your time. Like, we just feel like this conversation will be a great help to our listeners, but also um, open us up to you know our own understanding and um things we can learn about music therapy as well so i'm just going to quickly introduce you very quickly so kamika king is a soul singer songwriter musical storyteller and captivating speaker she has performed for the kennedy center arts across america's virtual series the u.s open tedx and is also the founder of musically me unlimited a musical self-empowerment program for youth of color centering equity for black teen girls. Miss King is also a certified music therapist, founder and CEO of socio-emotional wellness company King's Creative Arts Expressions. So you're a very seasoned person. You've got all of these achievements and um, you've done so much for your community out there in America. Um, would you mind sharing what where you're from in America, if that's okay? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you all so much for having me. I, I too am excited for this conversation. So I am based currently in Dallas, Texas, but born and raised in Stamford, Connecticut. So that is just outside of New York. Oh, okay, cool. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And have you are you aware of like a British podcast or anything along those lines? Do you listen to any? You know, I got to say y'all's is the first British podcast for me. Okay, so cool. what's what's the scoop? Well, we're kind of we've got our own kind of culture out here, but I've we we do kind of connect with you guys on a lot of um cultural aspects because of like Jamaican and like West African West Indian relationships and diaspora relationships as well. Mm-hmm. Um but I would say our podcast we try to relate to music globally. Um, although we do try to speak about, you know, black British music and British music in general. Um, we do speak about, you know, all of the artists around the world um, from, you know, the, the the great Americas to West Africa to, you know, Korea, all of the basic countries. So um, we just literally wanted to have you on here today to talk all things music therapy, really. Um, so we're going to go into a, seas- like a series of questions, sorry, um, just to literally kind of get a base for who you are 
what you do what music therapy is and um you know just really create a picture for our listeners and just invite them into the space essentially um so shopee do you want to go first or uh, sure okay yeah? do your thing I, so i also just want to say thank you as well for coming on and taking time out of your busy schedule it's much appreciated um but i think it would be best to start with the, the basics so for the layman out there or laywoman you know and non-binary out there so uh what is music therapy and what does a music therapist do for those yes. who have no idea Great loaded question. So I will start with the official definition from the American Music Therapy Association. So music therapy is the clinical and evidence-based use of music interventions to accomplish individualized goals within a therapeutic relationship by a credentialed professional who has completed an approved music therapy program. Um, there's a variety of things that we can do as music therapists. We might be promoting wellness, helping people to manage stress, alleviate pain, um, helping them to walk again, physical rehabilitation, um, enhance memory, express feelings, all those different things. So that's like the formal clinical definition right there. But I just like to say it is the clinical and evidence-based use of music uh, by a credential professional to help people with therapeutic goals through music. Yeah. That's a good start. <laughs> yeah. And so, some of the things that um, music therapists do, we can work in a variety of settings. So my work, uh, I spent seven years working in oncology. So with folks that have a variety of cancer diagnoses and in that setting, I was more so focused on supporting their mental health, what we call mm -hmm. psychosocial support. So processing grief and emotions, adapting the changes both mentally, but also the physical things that come along and understanding how that and stress could be impacting the family unit, working with them in that way. But my work with uh, children in a school setting that are neurodiverse, maybe they have autism or Down syndrome, the goals in that space, um, the therapy need is different. It might be working with them on social skills. So um, it could be academic things as well, helping them with numbers and counting and waving to their neighbor and making eye contact. But I might be embedding that in instructions and song um, for them to, to memorize certain concepts. Or I might be handing some instruments out that as soon as kids get instruments, what do they want to do with it? <laughs> Play them, <laughs> but start to work on how do we wait our turn? So waiting our turn in line, waiting our turn to go to the water fountain. How do we practice that while we get the instruments from Miss Kamika, but we're, we're going to wait until it's time to play to take our turn. So just a couple real life examples there. Oh, okay. Thank you very much for that. And that creates a, a, a real like picture for me to really understand the lessons that I learned through music. Um, and I'm really intrigued to understand your relationship with music in particular, because you know, sometimes we kind of have a label for things and we just assume there's like a, a standardized way of kind of um, engaging with it. Um, but when it comes to your relationship with music, I'm quite intrigued because um, just to share something about myself, as you, as you shared as well. So I work in publishing, for example. So I work with books quite a lot. And sometimes when I'm in a space of working with books quite a lot, 
whenever I see a book, although I love books, I don't always want to engage with books. So I'm kind of intrigued to see what your relationship is with music, having dealt with it in your day to day. Like what does your day to day look like with music and how do you engage with it as a music therapist? Mm-hmm. So what does my day to day look like with music? So and then how do I engage with so I'll start with the the latter portion of it first. So the way that I engage with it as a music therapist, it depends on what type of setting that I'm working in. Because in our processes of music therapy, we're not simply walking into a room and starting to play songs or anything like that. There's a process of assessment that we do anytime we're about to work with a group or somebody new, what have you, to understand what are their needs that are non-musical. So what is the goal in therapy? What is the, the need that's arising or, or where is the opportunity to support someone or a group? And then it also depends on what, um, what population or group or setting we're in as to how we assess, um, how we will evaluate, and even our process for taking data. So um, what do our notes look like in terms of progress towards group goals or progress that an individual is making? Um, where the musical part comes in is that I get to think about what is that non-musical, what is that therapeutic need? And then my brain turns as a part of the assessment and then says, okay, I'm understanding, I'm observing, I'm speaking, I'm engaging, I'm looking at what are the needs. And then when it comes to, to speak in sort of a medical model terms, when it comes to a treatment plan, when, so when it comes to what is the way that I can support this individual, um, I get to turn the music on in my mind and say, is there a, for example, a particular song that I can bring into the session that the lyrics thematically fit what I know they're saying is something they're going through? And I think this could be a, an access point to allow them to express themselves, whether I'm engaging them to play music with me. Um, even if you don't have any experience, you can engage musically you can participate in music therapy. Um, so if anybody's interested in music therapy for themselves, but they're saying, I'm not a musician, great. You don't have to be whatsoever. Um, but there are opportunities to play and to create. So am I engaging them in play or am I going to um, play a song for them live that is gonna be the access point for perhaps them to open up verbally? There's verbal processing that can happen in music therapy. Um, there's so many, different styles of music therapy, just the same way you can think about psychology and talk-based therapy. There are different approaches people take. So it's the same thing within music therapy as well. Um, what I'm describing is completely different from a colleague of mine that practices neurologic music therapy, where they might be helping someone through the rhythm of a guitar in a certain pattern to walk again or to develop speech oh, wow. through. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I sometimes go quickly. So feel free to like pause me at any point um, with certain things that you're like, wait, that's interesting. Tell me, tell me more about that. So really we entrain through rhythm. If you were to put a song on right now, you might see us start to bob our heads and we're all going to be syncopated in that. So think about that concept, but bringing it into a space where someone 
has had some type of um, physicality to where they're needing to learn to walk again and it's it's out of sync but walking is a rhythm so how do we apply the rhythmic elements from music to meet someone where they are and then help them to lock in to rhythmic steps what we call in training so so those that's a nod to my to my neurologic wow. music therapy folk um, over there but I, i've been blessed to work in a variety of settings um, even with the military, while I was doing my training several years ago, um, thinking about the ways that when the, 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 the soldiers and the veterans were coming back, um, from their service, reintegrating into, you know, our society, uh, sometimes they might have PTSD from what they've been experiencing. Sometimes there might be isolation of, well, these you know civilians perhaps don't don't understand what my experience is. So I got to support um, songwriting where I was able to work with some of the um, the service people on writing out their thoughts. Um, I was able to work with a guy on. Uh, executive functioning in the brain, just ordering and organizing thought was a, a goal that he was working on outside of music therapy. So how could we come alongside that and work on writing a song where you have to organize your thoughts to know, well, what's the story I'm going to tell? What's the order? What do I want to say? And then he had a musical background. He happened to have one. So we put music to it and it became something that wasn't only this exercise for him to work on putting thought together, but a piece of music he then had to perform that was a very integrated and normalizing experience because he could be just an artist on a stage singing a song and no one ever had to know the process and the journey and the function that that song initially served mm. wow. wow yeah i think it's really interesting to just get the um healing aspect of music therapy because you know i think it's like an invisible um invisible bandit i know that's like really minimizing or like simplifying it but that's the way i visualize it it's like you play this music and it it kind of gets to the parts that um, need a nudge essentially like um, in terms of like vibration and all of the above so it's just really interesting to just visualize what you're saying in kind of reality and you know how many people that's benefited as well so thank you for that Shop shoot, it, um, shoot. Go on. i'm just really intrigued at the the vast arrays you've been able to apply your work and what you've studied you've mentioned cancer patients you've mentioned soldiers you've mentioned you've worked with homeless people you just people that you just average person wouldn't think that music therapy could really exist in these variety of ways and what i wanted to ask was so historically people have always looked at music to like uplift them and act as a solace when they're like feeling emotionally wounded so how does like the practice of music therapy like expand on this and take it further especially when it comes to like mental well-being emotional well-being and like connecting with their inner self Mm-hmm. That's a great complex question. Ask it Sorry. to me one more time. I, I want to <laughs> soak it in a little more. Apologies. <laughs> no, 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 no apologies needed. Just run it back one more time. I'm going to absorb it a little more. We're going to keep it ripping okay. and running. <laughs> so I'll read it out again. So historically, people have always looked to music to uplift them and act as a solace when feeling emotionally wounded. 
just naturally as humans, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. So how does the practice of music therapy expand on that and take it further when it comes to mental well-being, emotional well-being, and just connecting with our inner selves? Mm-hmm. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have you run back the second half a little bit later, but when you talk about people's natural relationship to music and how does music therapy incorporate that, um, it incorporates it in, in a very specific way in that, to, to speak it in layman's terms, we get to bring something that's a, a mutual friend into the room uh, a lot of times when we talk about bringing music into the space with a client, a patient, a student, um, many people have significant milestones or things in their life that music has been um, yes, a story true. for a fa- uh, music for a lot of us is the fabric of our lives. We look at ads and there's so much music in it. Um, it just, you know, you go to a store, there's music playing overhead. There's so much music around us and a lot of ways people celebrate with music, people mourn with music. So it's the understanding of that human connection to music and bringing that into the therapeutic space in the ways that we've been trained to do in the evidence-based ways we've been trained to do to assess support and provide um, services therapeutic services that are incorporating um, that music so rather than me just walking to a room let's say in a talk-based scenario and I'm having to build rapport just through verbalization, I get to maybe ask folks questions about their musical preferences, their relationship to music. Sometimes folks are just not, it's rare, but not that into music. So maybe that's not an appropriate referral because they're not akin to music already. So music therapy may not be the best thing um, for them to explore, but by and large, folks have a very special and specific relationship to music that allows me a very specific tool that's near and dear to me that I can utilize in support of what their needs are. And that was both like specific and broad of an answer. So feel free to direct direct no. us wherever. <laughs> no, thank you. I love that because you said to yourself, like just in, in, instinctively, we all have particular songs which relate to particular milestones good or bad in our life and you're just channeling that in a more specific and focused way and using that Mm. to tackle whatever issues we may have so no you said they're Mm. mutual friends i love that yeah one really oh thank you thank you one really neat thing i'm remembering is some providing opportunities at the cancer center for patients to express difficult emotions or to celebrate the fact that perhaps they were they were finally finished with chemo. So bringing music into the space, like I might prompt them and say, hey, okay, I'm hearing, I'm hearing you share this, I'm hearing you share that. What are your thoughts on writing a song today? And they might, they might uh kind of kind of be taken aback by it and tense up of like they're not a musician, they're not a songwriter. And I explain this can be as simple as us having a dialogue and I'm going to write some notes down. 
Um, and then they might even be able to select, well, okay, do you, you'll see me make some motion off and have a guitar with me. It's very portable and mobile. Um, and I might say, okay, what type of sound do you want ascribed to it? Do you want an upbeat sound, something fast paced, something mellow? So it's been everything from, um, I remember there was a patient I worked with and the hook of the song was, um, I will be so happy. I will be set free. Getting chemo out of the way. Getting chemo out of the way. Because she was so looking forward to when I don't have to come here to do this thing when I reach that milestone. But then on the other hand, there have been some times where folks were really struggling with the experience of, of what was going on with them and their body. Sometimes maybe it's their illness is terminal and there's more difficult emotions that I might just gently play and give them that opportunity, utilizing music as catharsis for them to release. And that might look like tears, that might look like giving them an opportunity to journal while I'm, I'm playing live. And I'm, for example, to add another layer to describe the clinical element, I might even be looking at their breath. How is their chest rising and falling? And, and in training to that, to help support them. Um, it's, it's really been fascinating for me and it keeps me on my toes because the same way I could help somebody to de-stress or release anxiety, I might get called. Um, I remember I got called on a unit one time to see someone else and, uh, patient was having a, a reaction to some to some of one of the medications they had taken and it was in an open area so it was very tense there were medical professionals surrounding them and just someone's instinct might be well let's just like push play on a soothing song or something like that but where an actual live music therapist comes in in contrast i have the education and knowledge that says i can't you, you don't want to just start at well the person is on 10 let me just Play, play on four and they're just magically gonna get there. No, how do I start up on 10? <laughs> and then because we can entrain to rhythms, slowly and gradually with my guitar, bring the mood down, down, down and work with them. And I'll never forget a nurse afterward was like, I am so glad you were in that area at that time because not only did I see that you helped the patient and their spouse that was visibly freaking out, but you helped to calm the whole area because it was this crazy tense moment that I happened to walk into to try to see another patient. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. That is honestly incredible. Um, that kind of leads to my next question, actually, because... Um, in an interview that you you kind of took part in recently, you spoke about the fact that music therapy is one of the kind of least known out of all of the um, professions or the, the mediums of therapy. And I'm just intrigued to get your understanding of how people interact with you as a music therapist. So, for example, in the scenario you've just given, when you walk into a room and someone's having a physical reaction to something and they see you walking with a guitar like what how do people interact with that in, in in real time is there skepticism are they like what what actually happens really great question i feel like i'm saying that for all the questions y'all asking so <laughs> but 
Yeah, um, there, there's constant opportunity for us in our field and then what I'll say, our, our, our related field allies to help with education around our function and the ways that we can be useful because a lot of times the connection is not made as to what is someone walking into a space with a guitar it might seem like I'm actually in the way rather than available to support, but some prior knowledge and um, conversation and the rapport that I had with the particular nurse that was responding to that call, she knew me and she knew about music therapy. So she knew, oh no, you're not a nuisance in this space at the moment. You can be a great support <laughs> if I ask you, please. Can yeah. you help us out over here? But by and large, um, it has generally taken uh, sharing of information and education around someone with a guitar or someone singing in a particular clinical education setting that we are not there as entertainers. We are there as therapists who are utilizing mm. music as this tool and we can support a variety of needs mm. areas um, as a result. But the way that people interact with music is oftentimes for entertainment purposes. So I always try to keep that in mind when someone's just like, hey, you're gonna play me a couple songs? And I'm like, well, we gotta, do you have a referral? You know, let's start there. <laughs> Is there a clinical need out here? Because we out here supporting clinical needs, you know? Yeah, but it also, yeah. a lot of times the, what I will say, the visual novelty of walking around literally with a guitar strapped to my back also is this sort of clarion call opportunity to have something that makes people ask me questions that I can then share with them. I am an allied health professional here uh, to support whatever the needs are. Mm. Brilliant. So it sounds like the entertaining aspect, the performance aspect has been a massive misconception which you kind of have to routinely battle and do away with. So my next question was anyway, so what are the other misconceptions around music therapy and its usefulness? Misconceptions around music therapy and its usefulness. To the naked eye, a lot of times, the strategy and processes that underpin why we're doing what we're doing can be masked. Because I can be in a setting, let's say, I'll give you an example from when I worked at a, a, with a homeless recovery center. Um, working with folks who were unhoused. The naked eye might look at a group music therapy session and see that we're all drumming together and making music. Um, maybe I've pulled out um, a particular song and printed off the lyrics because I know this speaks to some group goals and some group needs and will be the springboard for someone to talk about their struggle maybe, but in the context of me asking questions like, well, what do you think the songwriter meant here? Or what's your interpretation of this line? It is an indirect way of me asking them, yeah. can you verbalize your internal state to me? Because they're going to reflect and project what their line of thinking is what their internal processes are en route to saying, like funny example, 
everyone's interpretation of a singular song can be different. There can be similarities, but it can be different. I don't remember what the song was, but there was a gentleman that after the song was over, we had the lyrics printed, we were gonna talk about it. I told him to underline any lines that stand out. And I do not remember now what the sort of thematic content was that I was trying to Was it saying on Dock of the Bay? Because I've read about this. It, it wasn't necessarily Dock of the Bay. It wasn't that song. Okay. But um, I don't remember the song. I don't even remember the goal. But I remember that this gentleman who responded of like, so what do you think the song was about? And he's like, I think it's about a guy. And he, you know, he was on the outs with his lady, but then, and he had this whole story, which was what I would call a very creative interpretation of what the song was about. But then I had to remember using my clinical cap, like, oh, maybe he's on the outs with his lady. And this reminded him (laughs) of what's going on and gave him that opportunity to talk about it. So someone walking by is like, they're listening to music, they're playing instruments, they are looking at song lyrics and chatting about them. But I understand that um, for another example, when Prince passed away, um, it was a day that I was over at the Homeless Recovery Center. And I was like, I got to toss out, possibly, I'm hearing rumblings and chatter, I've got to toss out possibly what I'm doing and be prepared to hold space. Um, and that's exactly like, we listened to some of the songs, we talked about it, but it was this idea of being able to, through the fact that Prince had just passed away, open up a discussion as needed about grief. Mm. Mm. And Mm. two guys, one guy spoke out and said he had recently lost his wife. And then that gave opportunity for the guy across the room to say the same thing had happened to him. So while that group session was one hour on that one day, now there are two people who realize they're having a, a, a grieving experience that is for similar purposes. And maybe that gives them the opportunity to connect, but at the mm-hmm. very least to express that in our safe space of our therapy group. Wow. Wow, that is incredible. Um, just thinking about how that all works and everything, it makes a lot of sense. Um, it kind of reminds me of like the ink blot test. So, you know, they have like a, it's usually like a ink uh, drawing or like um, something along those lines. They ask someone to interpret what they actually see. Um, so it sounds very similar to what you're describing with regards to lyrics and how people um, interact with their own individual truths by looking at a, a subject and, you know, thinking about how they interpret it, which again leads into my next question. I love the way this is working where, we're vibing and understanding each other. Synergy. Um, exactly, hey, synergy. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so my question might sound like a curveball, but I hope you understand what I'm saying with it. So with regards to people speaking their truths and the way that brings out um, people's emotions, one thing I wanted to talk about is the way that music impacts the youth. So um, I wanted to know what your thoughts were of genres like hip hop and now drill, for example, with regards to reflecting the uglier truths of like black communities across the world and like how that I don't know if you've seen any, any examples of how um like black youth or even black girls through musically um me for example Un- unlimited how wow. they relate to um like hip hop and drill and those genres that are kind of seen as dangerous or like 
you know gangster or any of any of those kind of um terms that are used in the media for example mm-hmm. excellent question <laughs> Thank you. tell me what did you say drill yeah drill so are you familiar with drill? i'm not okay so drill is a genre that started off in chicago to begin with um but in the uk we have our own variation um and in various countries as well like ghana they have their own variations it's a it's a child of hip-hop um with fairly graphic lyrics it has been used um to describe um gang culture and kind of um very graphic um, violent descriptions of violence for example criminality mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of yeah. thing mm-hmm. yeah all right and lead me back to the question again now yeah sure so it was pretty much um with regards to like what are your thoughts on genres on genre what are your thoughts on genres like hip-hop and now drill um reflecting the uglier uglier truths of black community yeah <laughs> i got you i got you <laughs> do you want me to repeat again no nah, i'm good i'm good i'm good okay cool yeah wow so on this one i've got to answer as like a human being so yeah. i love i love hip-hop i love a variety of styles of music i love hip-hop as well so i i have no qualms with hip-hop i think on a deeper level though, um, I am very much what I like to call like a lyrics girl. So I'm a person that in the ways that I'm drawn to music, I'm very much um, listening to the lyrics uh, first. The music's gotta be a part of it, but I'm listening to the lyrics, I'm listening to the voice, I'm listening to all of those elements. As a person, I am more drawn to things that are uplifting. And I use the word uplifting um, because I want to distinguish that from just saying like positive because um, on the other hand, another thing that I'm drawn to is things that are, are real. So mm-hmm. on one hand, I, from a music standpoint, see in some ways no issue with someone expressing themselves and their reality. And if their reality is grimy and violence and different things around uh, along those lines that's the truth of it from a community uplift standpoint there is to me expressing those things and then there's the glorification of those things which if they are not helpful to us as a people that's where things can get challenging for me or even as a woman I am not drawn to lyrics that are misogynistic. I'm not drawn to lyrics that are disrespectful um, when I listen to them to me as a woman. Um, So so you asked me a question that's like, depending on what hat I'm wearing, I might feel a different way because in a therapeutic space, I am not necessarily seeking to censor those who I am working with. I certainly wouldn't seek to censor them for my comfort because I am not in the space for my my comfort necessarily. Mm, I am mm, in the space mm. to be of support to their truth and reality. Now, if there are things that are condoning or promoting violence or, or other things that are not helpful to their recovery, their therapeutic process, then maybe maybe there's an exchange that needs to be had along those lines, or maybe there's an opportunity to introduce something different that maybe can provide a catalyst for change 
or maybe it doesn't, but it was simply exposure to something different. Um, but if it's in a, in a therapeutic or a clinical space, I have to, um, I have to be mindful of, is there something, some discomfort I'm having on a personal level that maybe I need to go seek supervision about, but as an artist, then I am very much about things that are real, but also can uplift the community. So if there's, I I certainly couldn't see myself promoting something that was violent or promoting Mm -hmm. something that is not helping us as a people to me. And then on a personal level, there's so much oppression and there's so many systems that are, that are anti-black and racist as is. I'm going to be real with y'all. There are times where I've thought about the lineage and history of the music that gets promoted through the machine and how that makes, how that can make us look to people who are non-black or not of color. Mm. Um, And then the tons of great artists who, and I don't mean to say it this way, but this is the word that comes that have more depth or something that's more uplifting to share, but don't get the same shine. And if we think about the industry, we understand who holds positions of power and oftentimes, or most of the time, they're not the people who look like us. And again, when we think about the systems and what gets glorified and whose face can get used to glorify it, uh, I got some problems sometimes. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I said a lot yeah. and a little and a lot no, all at no, the same said, time, but that yeah. is a curveball question that I feel different ways about that I yeah. want to almost speak in a very black and white way, but yeah. there is more nuance and gray mm. area to yeah. it. That was, that was okay. All right. Like mm. Jeopardy, like 21 <laughs> questions or. No, I, I think um, it's important that you explained your point from a human perspective as yourself, but also from like a professional aspect as well to really help kind of um, separate the two, because, you know, I, I speak publicly on this podcast about the fact that I'm in therapy mm. and, um, you know, sometimes I'm aware of the fact that, the session has to be about me, for example. There has to be that boundary of, you know, focusing on my stuff from my therapist. And I'm one. And my question was to basically understand, you know, how much of yourself you are allowed to bring to those sessions. But at the same time, it was to really investigate this. Um, I don't want to say myth, but challenge that um, comes from a lot of people when it comes to, um, you know, genres that relate to. Um, poverty or the hood and for listeners i'm doing fingers to basically say the hood um and impoverished areas a lot of the time like i always bring this up but in and um what's it called um straight out of compton for example um ice cube says that you know it you guys may call it gangster rap but it's our reality and we're going to talk about our reality um in the fullness and realness that it is and um, I just kind of wanted from your perspective as a professional, as someone who understands the importance of lyrics and how it kind of affects people's mental health, but also it helps them engage with their realities, the necessity of those genres, because mm. it is important to kind of just talk about how healing it is for our communities when we're given the space to actually talk about what actually happens in our communities, however graphic it is. So I really appreciate the fact that you shared that. Um, but yeah, shop yeah. it. I'm actually I, glad. I'll oh, share oh. one more. Th- oh wait, what was I gonna say? Um, 
I think it's it's important for people to be able to feel seen. And I think from what you described, someone's real life circumstances being spoken in a song or being communicated in a song can help them to feel seen and understood of what their circumstance is or the, the conditions that they're living in. However, for me, again, to speak on more of a personal level, pardon me, my thought is, but, and then what? Okay. So because I'm more like oriented towards social change and community uplift, it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, there's the understanding of it's great to feel seen, but, but are we taking it somewhere that makes it productive? Okay. I hear you. Mm. So that's just kind of like, yeah. So that, that's another thing that, that I'll offer, but this, that I feel like that topic in and of itself, it's, is is its own sort of like conversation or, or Mm. discussion, but yeah, you, you, you definitely drew out like, where do I land on this and when and, and, and how, and I know a lot of times you said, Hey, I'm asking you from that, like professional, um, lens it's patient, patient or client preferred music is something that we should, um, uh, studies have shown that there can be a better connection when you're utilizing something, a sound or music, lyrics, whatever that resonate with the folks that you're working with. So on a clinical standpoint, I would say, I would encourage any other music therapist to think about, well, what are the goals that we're working on, the therapy goals, and how might certain types of music support or even harm that? And that's what, mm. there's harm, there can be harm in music as well that requires folks like us to have training, um, to have a degree in music therapy, to have uh, at least 1200 hours and to have a a national certification and continuing education requirements and the understanding in our training of when is music helpful and when could music potentially be um, harmful and how do we as therapists help for that to be navigated to the do no harm as much and then Mm -hmm. in, in support of the needs of our clients. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. So I'm going to keep it, once again, we're aligned. We're going to keep on the genre conversation. So moving hip hop and drill to gospel music. So I'm going to share my own little anecdote here. I've always, always loved gospel music. I'm not particularly religious anymore, but I've always loved it as an art form, like the musicianship, the vocal, the songwriting. I think some of the greatest songwriters and musicians are from that genre. And I've been on my own journey these last few months to be way more intentionally positive and optimistic because that's something that I can struggle. And in the last four months, three months, I've noticed my relationship to gospel music has changed tremendously. So whereas before I would just listen to it, you know, just, hey, these are great songs. I love Trinity 5-7 and I love Kirk Frank. There we go. <laughs> Kirk Franklin or Fred, Fred Hammond or whoever. Um, now, I feel like I listen to it now also for enjoyment, but also I realize it's actually providing strength and encouragement. And it actually gives me, it actually does uplift me and can allow me to get on with my day and get on with my week when life can be annoying and ghetto and annoying and frustrating. It's giving me a, a greater sense of solace than I feel like it's ever had in my life. But I feel like maybe that's because I'm just, as I'm getting older and maturing, but I feel like it's becoming more than just something that I love. So 
from your perspective professionally where do you sit on i guess the the power of gospel music in relation to our emotions and our mental well-being and healing Wow. No, no. Okay, so run just the question piece of it of it back. I appreciate the context. Run the question piece of it back. So as a so professionally as a music therapist, so what is your like thoughts, I guess, on the healing properties and power of gospel music in relation to how it like how that can really change one's mental and emotional well-being like it can really impact that sure if we were in a session and you identified what you just did the ways that you found gospel music in particular to be of support to you that is a note for me to remember when i'm thinking about what music therapy experiences or another word for them our interventions can i bring to your therapy session that t- lets me know, oh, this this person really responds to gospel music, whether it's the lyrics, the musicality, and is feeling uplifted by it. How can I, once we've identified whatever the therapy goal is, how can I, when I'm looking for ways to incorporate music, the musical aspect in our music therapy session, bring in gospel because I know it will be effective for this particular client. So that's what I would say. Um, music and people's preferences can be so individualized that it's our responsibility um, to be thorough when we're building rapport and we're thinking about how can we be helpful um, to take those things into account. So that's that's what I'd offer for that. Mm. But would you say like even beyond like the clinical aspect, would you say that ghost music has or can be therapeutic for people even because i always say that even if you're not religious you can take something for i feel like it can really Mm -hmm. alter your own like sense of self i feel that because like i said i'm not really considering myself religious anymore yeah it does something to me and it has been doing something to me (laughs) a lot so i can key in on one particular aspect speaking from my own sort of me as person and me as artist, um, when it comes to gospel music and I think the conviction um, in Mm. the delivery of the song, um, even vocally speaking, but even the arrangements and modulations that um, like we think to take it another direction really quickly, the Star Spangled Banner, people just wait for the, the, and the land of the free, the high note, and they just want to clap and oh my gosh. And it's, it's this big high focal point. When we think about gospel music with, when there's modulations and the key is changing and there's, there's, there's different musical changes and there's tension and release, all those things can be a very... Um, I'll use the word emotional or emotion stirring or soul stirring experience that maybe um, other genres may not as inherently 
have those unless the song is is written in that way. But we know in gospel mm. and even within gospel, there's so many different styles. So even what I'm describing is not no longer exclusive to just gospel as is, but there can be just this to, I know you're not very religious anymore, but an aspect of whether it's hope or hanging on mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. that can lyrically Definitely. be supportive the the heartfelt delivery can can really be soul stirring and or emotion evoking um the musical changes and just the heart that a lot of people can play with within that gospel genre in the for the purposes of of worship and praise and worship can definitely um be Clinically, I'm wanting to go towards words like exciting or arousing in that way, but to speak in human terms, like it can move us, right? So, mm. so it can have those sorts of things. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. Ec- love that. Love Thank that. Thank you very much. Thank you. I was waiting to get that one out. (laughs) So, right, not exclusively, because we can go push play on a song that, like, doesn't have any of those things, and it's still a gospel song. But, but, you know. That's that's exactly my point, because I listen to a lot of those songs, a lot of those artists. Like, I always say, if you take take the words out, Jesus and God, these are just inspirational songs anyway. Like, they could Mm. be a a Katy Perry song, (laughs) just like, because they're about, you know, hope and staying positive and, you know, holding on and encouragement that that's not exclusive to religion or spirituality so mm-hmm. i'm glad you pointed out like the lines can be easily blurred mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah cool that was a great question i feel like we've covered a lot of music therapy and we've kind of got a foundation for what music therapy is how it's used how people engage with it and how it can be quite an ind- individualized experience i want to kind of reach into kind of your experiences and um what your story is and how you ended up in music therapy so i I was wondering if you would be comfortable sharing that with the podcast today yeah uh short version uh first generation american so my folks are from uh, trinidad trinidad and tobago so when you mentioned the west indian connection all that i was like yeah Um, that's been a theme of today's episode yeah, we've spoken, yeah. So just to share, I'm Jamaican and Bayesian. So, hey! Yeah. And then uh, tell me how to pronounce your name properly. Eden. Eden and... Yeah. Chope. Chope. Did I say it yes. properly? Yeah. Okay, Chope. Where where are you and or your folks from, Chope? I'm Nigerian, so I'm Nigerian. not West Indies. Sorry, that's just for you two. I'm Nigerian. That's all right, though. That's, I mean, I might go have some jollof after this. You know, I got <laughs> Oh, tangentially, um, oh my goodness, I got to go to, you said Nigerian, right? Mm, I got to go to a Nigerian wedding uh, last year. Oh my gosh, so beautiful, Um, so big, like amazing, like stunting, like production. I was here for it. I was here for including the, 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 the spilling of the bills all over yeah. the bride and groom. That's what so. we do. We're flashy. <laughs> flashy. There we go. That's the word. That's the word. It was it was flash and splash, but with so much class. I loved it. Yeah. And love. Like genuine love there. Yeah. Genuine love. Yes. So that being said, I love 
intercultural experiences and exchanges. And I'm a first gen American. My folks are from the West Indies. They're from Trinidad. I grew up in Connecticut. They were in New York before they moved to the Burbs, but I was born and raised in the Burbs. But we had family friends that were Mexican, that were Indian, Asian, just from all over the place. And I was exposed to those cultures, also friends from Colombia and Puerto Rico. I was exposed to those cultures. I was exposed to their music. I was exposed to soca, reggae, um, calypso, just so many different things from, from homeland. And then, you know, of course, a variety of American music. And then my friends and family friends and all their music and culture. And then at home, my mom would listen, everybody listened to a lot of things, but a different, a lot of things. My mom would listen to gospel. I was listening to um, Helen Baylor's live album the other day. And I was like, I want to thank my mama that I know about this album. <laughs> I was all in my feelings. Um, she listened to Aretha Franklin and, and Shirley Caesar, Yolanda Adams, um, Celine Dion, Dixie Chicks, um, so many different things. My dad would listen to smooth jazz and, and sting and different things along those lines, a lot of reggae as well. Of course, we had a lot of soca and all of the, the mm. Caribbean music as well. Um, and then my brother is a little bit older than I am. So while I'm a bit of a hip hop head, he was straight up hip hop head. So I know mm. about all of that music, you know, through proxy of him. And that was this eclectic melting pot and bed of my own musical foundation. Cause I'd like the boy bands, but also everything I was, you know, immersed in too, that I just had this love for consuming and listening to music, but mm -hmm. also this love from a very young age of singing and performing. Um, I would rip up pieces of paper and hand them out because they were tickets and then the couch was the stage. Um, so I've, I've always had this relationship in some way to music and in varied ways. Um, I am an artist at my core, um, although mm. Um, I studied music and wound up going right back to school after I studied music and psych, um, minored in psych and broadcast communications. Cause I did some radio broadcasting. I went back to school after I found out about music therapy. Um, and then I've been board certified for seven years now, but in that process, I said, I'm going to do music and I'm going to do music therapy, but mostly did a lot of music therapy with some music and had to, during the pandemic, um, understand that and identify with the fact that I'm really an artist at my core, mm. um, poetry, photography, music, and there is a beauty in the way that I interpret the world as a result of me being an artist at my core. And me during that pandemic and throughout thinking about how can I sort of get back to that aspect of myself? Because when I'm in a clinical space, I am not there for self very clearly. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I am there to provide, frankly, a service to someone else or another group of people. Um, and I am blessed that the tool I get to, to share has to do with music, but it lives in a very different way 
then when I'm at home, turn on the music and it's not a song I'd ever sing anywhere, probably would never even bring it into a session, but I'm going to dance to it because I enjoy it and I love it. So I have a personal connection to music that's just for me. I have an artistic connection to music that is both for me, but I'm understanding more has a certain value it can bring to others in my willingness to share it. Um, and then I've got the clinical and therapeutic aspects of music, utilizing that in my work, but in a way that a song I've written that I'll sing on a stage, I will sing in a very different way. I might put some riffs and runs. I might roll on the ground. I'm, I'm gonna bring the emotion. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it to life. But in a clinical space, it probably doesn't call for that. Even if I have identified that the lyrical content in that song is a great spring bed for us to do some songwriting together. I'm gonna take out some of the words in there and give them the platform to fill it in with their truth. When I perform it, it's not for me to do the bells and whistles because I'm not there for me. So those are some, that's the sort of trajectory, I think, in a long but short way, long story long to short, of um, the ways that I consume, produce, and utilize music. Mm. And is so, that what kind of led oh. you into uh, music therapy in the end? Good question. Thanks for bringing that part back. So I have always been interested in music, but also helping people, um, being of service. So in high school, that looked like volunteering in certain spaces. And I have had what I'll summarize as two very pivotal experiences with folks with disabilities. Um, while I was coming up that got me interested in the field of special education. Uh, but I wound up studying music instead of going into special ed. But it was always sort of on my heart and in the back of my mind. And what specifically led me to music therapy, that second pivotal experience I'll talk about, is a group of same age peers at my university who graduated from high school and they got to come to a program that exposed them to taking a class or two on the college campus. They had a job on campus and they also worked on life skills because they had a, like whether neurodivergence or, or certain disabilities. So they weren't matriculated into the college, but it was a program for folks um, to be able to get a college experience. Mm -hmm. And partnering with them during my senior year the most powerful program of the series that I created um, for them, a social programming series, was I'd perform every year at the coffee house. They needed more performers. Some of the folks from that group were musically inclined. I coached them. That was probably like one of my early, very early like musical coaching experiences. I coached some of them to perform. Um, and I saw the way that music had a power to normalize people that generally would be looked upon for their difference or disability rather than mm. what they have to offer regardless mm. of the other things that, that are a part of their identity. So mm. one girl had, was a published poet 
and from interacting with her, she was very shy and very quiet that if that opportunity of like, there's a performance opportunity, it may have never come out of like, here's my big book <laughs> that I have a poem in. Um, and then there was a young man with, I believe it was ADHD and Tourette syndrome. He was a wonderful singer as well. So I saw that night that it didn't matter. And actually when he sang, he did not have, and I, I hope I'm using the right word, any ticks or anything like that while he was singing. There, there wasn't anything like that going on. And he had a beautiful singing voice. So people then knew him as the guy who sang songs rather than for any part of his disability. Um, the same thing with the young lady, she got to be known as like, Hey, this is the poet tonight, not for anything else that often people get stigmatized for. Mm. And I was sold mm. and then figured out, oh, music therapy already exists, been around since post-World War II. It's a whole mm. profession. And guess what? You have to go all the way back to school and get an entirely different degree specifically yeah. for music therapy. So yeah. then you can actually enter this profession. Yeah. Perfect. Mm. Um, just before Shoppe continues, um, we did say an hour, but if you're comfortable, we're happy to continue. So, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've got a little bit more time. Um, y'all okay, have come cool. with great questions, and and I know my wind has been long on some of the answers, but I've been enjoying the space so much. So, if you need to cut off or curtail at at any point some of my explanations, you have full jurisdiction to do so. Okay. But I'm enjoying okay. chatting with y'all. <laughs> Likewise, Same we are too. So. I have three questions left. One big one, then two mm -hmm. small ones. All right. Because um, I also wanted to get into you, uh, um, who you are. But I guess my last question in regard to the clinical work you do is when I was doing like my Googles and my research, I saw that as part of your research, you produced a documentary called For They Endured, which explored the roles and identities of African-American women in music therapy. So... And I was trying to like find if I can watch it, but I didn't see anything. But if you could just tell us more about how you got into creating the documentary, what was the process like? What were the findings and the conclusions about the role of African-American women in that space? I thought yeah. like that would be interesting. Yeah. So 2017, my grandmother, matriarch of our family, passed away. Um, within two months, her two remaining siblings also passed away as well. Mm. And mm. the reality of that was that that was amidst the grieving process, the understanding that we just lost a whole generation, but we just lost a whole generation of information mm. yes. and family history. Whatever we know, we know. <laughs> Whatever we don't know, so be it. Yeah. And the shorter version of this story is that it caused me to be curious about identity in a way that I said, I can't go back in time, but where are there other areas of my life where there are still living elders that I can learn from and get the stories of their lived experience? Um, and that's the shortest version of what led me to eventually um, travel and record um, interviews that became the documentary with four women 
in music therapy that black women who entered the field, um, let's see, it's been a while since I've, I've visited that project, but they entered the field pre-civil rights era all the way through, oh, wow. I want to say the 70s. So women who had, at the time that I filmed it, which was a couple years ago now, at least 40 years of experience within music therapy. The eldest woman who I interviewed, uh, Fran Goldberg, mentioned applying via mail, sending her cover letter and resume to apply for a job, I believe it was in another state, and specifying that she was a person of color, that she was a black woman, because that potentially meant if they didn't know that and she got hired and they didn't know she was black, she may no longer have that job. So she had to quote unquote, get that out of the way. And that's like, this is, this, this is a, a living woman. This is, this is not that long ago um, to, to have entered pre-civil rights and those that entered during and some of the stories of pain of the things that they had to endure um, that are literally injustices when all they wanted to do was practice music therapy, the challenges, but also as a result, the pioneering that they mm. did because of the mm. barriers they broke down, because of the doors they broke down. And even the uh, outside of that historical aspect, there are some of them that is not just like, well, the first black person to do X, Y, and Z. Some of them were the first person to do certain things in our field, right? So how do we know and celebrate that? And that was the heart behind just wanting to capture the information and recognize um, that I say for they endured, but the reality is like they endured so that I could too, because there's still discrimination, racism, oppression, a lot of things that still happen mm. today mm. with me as a music therapist and my other black colleagues in music therapy that it's sad, but it's the truth. But because they endured, there are certain things that we don't have to, or we don't have to as much, but it's just this, yeah. this aspect of legacy lineage and understanding Indeed. the torch that has been passed down and committing to continuing that, that mantle. That's like the heart of who I am and what I do in and outside of my, my artistry. Wow. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, is this so we could watch this? Because I tried to find it. I don't have it up right now, but it, it's moments like this that remind me in the in the hustle and bustle of working on a variety of things. I need to to sit down and carve out time to get everything in gear that I can put that up for more for for consum wider consumption mm -hmm. wider consumption because yeah. I y'all 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 made me get impassioned just right now <laughs> I was like yeah so <laughs> whenever it is up I need to make sure and remember or y'all keep in touch with me to circle back so I can drop y'all yeah, that link yes, um, and and y'all can check it out as well yeah of course but you've also again synergy because you spoke about at the end um you know coming back to yourself and um, when you were speaking before like a question ago you were talking about how you've always kind of been like a helper or you've always kind of been in spaces where you've wanted to support people when you were like volunteering and all of the above and i wanted to ask if you knew about like etymology for example like if you knew the definition of your name in particular interesting so 
there's many ways I can answer that. I will say some years ago, I learned that in Fijian, my name means sweet. But mm-hmm. outside of that, I'm not specifically familiar. Um, okay, I do. I know. You do. Oh, well, 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 so that's, please. That's why I was asking yeah, the no, no, break it down. My, my mom heard the name, um, on a talk show that she was watching y- yeah. decades ago. Um, but yeah, d- d- hit, hit, hit me with the info. <laughs> yeah, no, cause, um, I have to kind of shout out, um, a friend of the show, one of our close friends, um, Alex Holmes, um, he wrote a chapter about the importance of names in a book called safe, which was published in the UK. Um, but etymology to me is just really interesting because, you know, when you see people moving within their own individual truths and then you kind of see their name relates to that, it's just like a coincidence that doesn't seem by accident. Mm. So I don't know if this is entirely true. When I was researching um, you and everything that you do, I wanted to just kind of see if there was a relationship to your name in any type of way. So Kamiko apparently means mediators peacemakers and the helpers of the world wow. so like when i saw wow. that in comparison to what you do currently i was thinking that is you encapsulate wow. that perfectly mm. now foreshadowing yeah i know i was just thinking that's a really interesting wow. connection um and i don't know how that makes you feel in terms of um what you're feeling for yourself in your day-to-day but also um what you intend to do as you move forward on your own individual journey mm-hmm. would you be able to speak on what your plans are for the future and what you what your ambitions are mm-hmm. tell me what is the the um the the origins that you found that that definition the the etymology from i'm curious i just typed your name into google and it was one of the first suggestions that came up um when i searched it huh. send that to me send that to yeah, me sure. yeah um I got chills like it 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 was it was poor raising when you when you mentioned those things because they definitely resonated. Um I had a professor in grad school who when I was looking at what classes I should take for electives encouraged me to take things that were personally interesting to me. And that seemed counterintuitive. Um, Mm -hmm. I would think, well, let me take what seems like it makes the most professional sense for my knowledge base. But her point was what is personally interesting to you will inherently be valuable or relevant towards your professional development as well. And I say that as a preface to, I am in a space where on a personal level, it's about how can I seek and center joy and mm-hmm. liberation mm-hmm. on a personal level, as well as what in what I am creating and sharing and the spaces that I'm in. And that is a personal goal that I know will inherently inform how I show up and what I do and all those things. So my plans are really to to hone in or or allow space as much as possible while balancing the things or attempting to and seeking harmony in those things. How can I be creating space for me foundationally as a creative and as an artist in ways that don't necessarily lead with the clinical, but 
at the same time, my knowledge base, I think, will always be synergistic, to borrow a word, and informative to whatever I'm doing. So while I'm doing Musically Me Unlimited, utilizing music and the arts as a tool for empowerment and teaching life skills and, and socio-emotional learning through the arts, whether the student wants to fulfill a career in the arts or whether it's just gonna help them with coping tools. Um, and they're, nev they're never, you know, they're not going into a career in the arts, but we know that the arts can be useful, whether listening or engaging in it, even for per mm. personal purposes. Um, I went into it as an artist but it was very much so informed, even in some of the structures, by my knowledge as a music therapist. But on a personal level, I'm in a space where it's like, I've done things in the therapeutic space, I've done things in certain other spaces, even my pre-music therapy career and all that. How can I now open up to that space that at one point seemed very much like a dream, but if I actually mm -hmm. turn around and take an assessment, I'm well on my way, and especially if I allow myself to be in terms of what I'm willing to to, to write down and pen or mm -hmm. um, other aspects of the arts that I used to engage in that I ultimately kind of chose music and music therapy. But how can I be a more well-rounded me by mm -hmm. allowing myself to engage in artistic practices that are joy-giving and liberating and allow my full self to be there, not mm -hmm. just the portion that is seemingly acceptable because of what my role is. So yep. that's that's the goal. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Well, I think what we'll do is we'll have one more question each just because I'm cautious of time. Okay. And then we'll kind of wrap up there. Is that okay? Yeah. So yeah. Well, you, you know what my last question is? Who do you stand? We'll do that at the end. But okay. my actual last question question is, so you've obviously mentioned, you know, fundamentally, holistically you're an artist so i want to like let the people know that what can people expect in the future from the artist Mika? Mm. like what can we expect from the musician yeah yeah so i've been in this exploratory process of reconnecting to some old songs to flush them out and then allowing sparks and thoughts of ideas um to come to fruition um and so the thing that's next for me is collecting my music in a way that I'm ready to record and release content. Um, I've been doing some of that. You know, I've got one official song released and other things you can find on YouTube that aren't, you know, out on Spotify and digital platforms as yet. But now for me is the time to go in the direction of like me as musician and artist. And um, I mean, I could do some mean cover songs and I do, but also I'm, I'm challenging myself to re-explore my own material so that I can, that I can share it. So that's what's next for me. I'm in a, in a creation phase right now. Um, and what's up next is more and more original content. All right, Perfect. and we look forward to that food for the soul that is coming to our airwaves very soon. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Um, Shopping, I think what I'll do is I'll ask the question that we always ask, if you're okay with that. Yeah. Um, so this is to wrap up, but we ask this question to everyone that we interview. So our podcast is called Done Alert the Stands, and I don't know if you're aware of what the word stand means. Are you? Yeah? So we usually I think ask in, people... in the general sense, 
like super fandom yeah so, yeah. Okay. Super fan. yeah so who who do you stand individually from a musical perspective mm. you know i wouldn't have thought that the most basic question would be the hardest one i don't know that there's anyone that i currently stand but i absolutely well, across your life what's that i absolutely love this probably is not going to be a surprise like india ari um uh, <laughs> <laughs> lauren lauren right hill now, so you know. um but i love um luther vandross as well from a vocal standpoint <laughs> and just what he could massage a note um Ooh, lisa, lisa whoa, fisher describe <laughs> Well, say that again. Repeat the way we were both like. He can <laughs> massage a note. Lisa Fisher yes. talked about doing background for him and how he taught them um, placing their breath in certain spaces mm -hmm. to get certain sounds. Like um, uh, also uh, Whitney Houston is another like vocal giant of our time. Just what she was able to so effortlessly do um and bring out the notes and the emotion like I, I i love a good vocal and i love good technique and i love when you can just put that little splat ad on it that's something that people can't quite put their finger on but it's amazing so i love that about folks like whitney and and luther and i love the heart and soul of artists like an artist like india ari the messages in her music and the the, 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 you know, songversations and the medicine to, to use her titles. Um, I do a lot of acoustic soul and where did that start as, as the album title that is really yeah. genre from, from India Ari. So that's some, some just uh, an homage uh, there. What great, great selections. I love everyone that you named. And I actually just finished reading Luther's book towards the end of last year. So I've definitely been in a Luther space, but India Ari, like even everything on, on the healing thing, I feel like, she has one of the richest tones ever. Like mm -hmm. her vocal tone is just immaculate. Voyage mm -hmm. to India is my personal favorite album, but hey. Um, okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's the one. Volume one and volume two, but you really can't go wrong anywhere in the discography. Let's can't, just be can't real. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. <laughs> but that second album, <laughs> powerful. No, thank cool. you. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, this was a great conversation. Um, Fantastic conversation. I know it might seem a bit weird, but we've been waiting to have this conversation. I know I keep saying it, but honestly, we have. we've been trying to have this conversation for the longest time because I think, you know, whilst we try to have fun whilst talking about music and we, we have laughs and we engage with the controversial topics, mm -hmm. we're really trying to push and let our audience know that we're also a podcast that focuses on the healing aspect of music as well. Mm. Yes. And the fact that you've, come here today and you've managed to kind of introduce us to an aspect of music that um i would say doesn't get a lot of light on um doesn't get a lot of attention and support um and is healing a lot of people around the world just want to say thank you for what you do and thank you for coming on the podcast today and sharing your truth but also sharing um a new way for people to engage with music and mm. you know it might be someone that's listening to this right now that actually might need music therapy in their life so um just a massive thank you from don't let the stands and i imagine our audience as well for giving us your time today we're extremely grateful for you oh. um cool i'm gonna wrap up the podcast um so listeners thank you so much for listening to the podcast we're really grateful for all of your times um as always 
follow us on d-a-t-s-p-o-d that's you can find us on any social medias whatsoever um I, there's nothing else really to say it was a great episode so well I'm we have no no let let let's kamika tell the audience where they can find oh, her yeah, my apologies <laughs> my apologies <laughs> all good all good um so yes my website is www.kamikaking.com and the spelling mm-hmm. is k-a-m as in mary i-c-a Last name King, K-I-N as in Nancy G, like kingwithacrown.com. For my youth empowerment program, you can find that at musicallyme.xyz for Musically Me Unlimited. And I am on Facebook and Instagram at Kamika King as well. So I'd love to to be in touch um, with folks as they see fit. And especially y'all, thanks for having me. Um, and if even folks are wanting to know more about music therapy or how they might be able to access a music therapist, um, you can check out musictherapy.org um, here in the States and do a search. You always want to look for someone that has an MT-BC credential because that means that they're board certified. Um, and that means that they're actually a music therapist. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. folks might call themselves that because of their relationship, the ways that they are using music. But music therapy, um, as our allied health profession, you must have an MTBC credential um, or to be legitimate. So just wanted to throw those things out there, too. No, Excellent. thank you very much. Yeah, this has been a brilliant interview. Um, we're going to leave it there. Cool. Peace, guys. Peace.